0: Remember, as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome, tomatoes, to another episode of The Three Tomatoes Happy Hour podcast. I'm Kim Selby, the San Francisco editor of the Three Tomatoes newsletter, and I hope everyone is still keeping safe and wearing masks and getting along with everyone with whom you are sheltering in place. And that brings me also to our guest today, who is an expert and author on the Enneagram. And if you're unfamiliar with this personality assessment system, we're going to find out more from Suzanne Dion, and she has... In addition to the many amazing things that she has done in her lifetime, she has co-authored a book called The Enneagram, Relationships and Intimacy. And she also co-founded a program called The Enneagram Prison Project, where she went into prisons and actually worked with the prisoners and helping them with their personality assessment. I'm assuming we will find out more about that, but she is fascinating. And if you don't know about the Enneagram, it is wonderful. So, welcome,
0: Suzanne. Thanks for cu- being with us today. Thank you so much, Kim, for having me. And I have to just slightly correct you because I wasn't a co founder of Enneagram Prison Project, but I was a founding board member with an incredible woman named Susan Olesic, who is the founder of Prison Project, Enneagram Prison Project. Okay, got it.
1: So for those people who don't know, and even for those who do, can you tell us a little about the Enneagram and how it, I mean, I think it started a million, jillion years ago or so, but if you can just share a little bit about that.
0: The Enneagram is, uh, Ennea means nine in Greek and grandma means drawing. Enneagram means a nine pointed star or drawing. It's, uh, it's got its roots in, um, The ancient Sufi culture, um, way back when, it was more an understanding of human energy and the way energy moves. Um, It was popularized, and archetypal human personality structures were placed on this human movement understanding, human energy understanding around the 50s and 60s by a man named Oscar Ichazo, and also a man named Claudio Naranjo, which was, I believe he is a psychotherapist or psychiatrist, Um, They started working with um, the human energy systems that Gurdjieff had um, been working with um, back in the turn of the century. Long story short, it's it's an incredibly intelligent understanding of the way personality is designed and develops. And the Enneagram has nine specific personality structures, character structures, I'm gonna call them. And these character structures each come in wired with a particular focus of attention. Now what that means is, go back a million years, some people their focus of attention would be on hunting and seeking and gathering, and other people's focus of attention would be on building the house. And another person's focus of attention would be on thinking and figuring out problems and, and, you know, diagnosing the weather. and, And each of us has a focus of attention that ends up being a contributory gift to the collective and the collective survival. So if all of us looked at the same thing when we walked into a room or if all of us focused on the same thing in our lives, our species would have never made it. So the Enneagram points incredibly at how we as a human collective are individually designed to contribute and bring a particular gift and set set of aptitudes. And these designs are right in our temperament. So that's, it is
1: fascinating to me. And I've studied it a little bit and I've read a little bit about all of the personality types. I guess that's, that's what you would call all the nine. Mm -hmm. Are is everybody has one that is a dominant, um, Mm -hmm. Feature yes. or character. And, and I think what happens sometimes with some of these profiles that people use for business, they think one is better than the other, you know? And do people come into this thinking, oh, a nine is best, oh, a one is best? Or, but I think, but to my understanding, it's everybody has qualities that are both good and not as good.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll break this down a little bit. So there's nine structures. And they're one through nine. One is not better than nine or nine's not better than one. They're not hierarchical. They're both um, gender neutral. Um, and the, the Enneagram type you come in with is something you come in with. Uh, we're wired a particular way. Our central nervous system is wired a particular way and it tends to point beautifully at these nine, we'll call them temperaments, uh, nine Enneagram types. You stay here the same type your whole life You don't change type. Uh, We can relate to all nine types because as part of humanity, we have pieces of each one of these gifts inside of us. That's how we relate to each other and as part of being human. The one thing that does change uh, across our lives is possibly what's called level of developmental well-being level of development which means i can be an enneagram type nine who's very high functioning and expanded and potentiated i had amazing parents i am securely attached i was i was attuned to with high resonance and care and love or i can be a type nine that's highly contracted highly defended i went through a lot of trauma a lot of neglect I might even have a personality disorder because i was so poorly nurtured and i might still be a type nine so we can have a very high functioning of any of the nine types high level of developmental well-being or we can have low level of development developmental well-being based on um, my nurturing environment so So that's that's the nature versus nurture thing you know you come in organized your central your central nervous system is ready to meet your parents. It's wired up and organized by the time you're born and then your parents are pushing on it or helping it to expand or helping it to contract. The nurturing environment really develops, designs how healthy we are psychologically, cognitively, and emotionally.
1: That's very fascinating to me because I was adopted and I found out I was adopted as an older adult. Well, I was 22, but I have longed, to understand the whole nurture nature, you know, versus um, environment versus heredity. And I feel I was very much nurtured, you know, as by my adoptive parents and who knows what my situation would have been otherwise. But that sort of brings us to the whole relationship part of of the Enneagram, which you have uh, written a book about. Right? I mean, that's...
0: Yeah, so our relationships. So Dr. David Daniels, who is my beautiful co-author, he's also my mentor. He was also one of the founding fathers of the Enneagram in the United States. He's the one that brought it to Stanford University. He risked his entire career to validate this thing called the Enneagram that he started learning in private. Um, after going to visit a woman named ha- Helen Palmer up in Berkeley for a psychic reading. She's an incredible intuitive, as well as a, a bona fide enneagram master teacher and specialist. And he, um, she was starting to teach it up in Berkeley as part of the human potentialist movement under a man named Claudio Naranjo, who I mentioned earlier. And she was teaching in what's called the narrative tradition, which is where You don't need to know the Enneagram whatsoever to sit on a panel and in your Enneagram type, all you got to do is talk about the way you see the world and you will automatically speak right from type. So she was teaching with huge groups of people at the YMCA and she had a panel of Enneagram type threes and Dr. Daniels was sitting in that audience going, wow, this is Oh my God, I've been taking notes about patterns and personality structures. I had the one that worries, I had the one that laments, I had he had these different categories that he'd already been working out. He goes, This has been around for years and comes down through all these ancient wisdom traditions. And so he studied it in private for two years, brought it to Stanford, like I said, risked his career because it was kind of woo-woo at the time. It's um, you know, it's an ideology perhaps, and um and in Coming from mystical traditions, he worked tireless, tirelessly for the next thirty years to bring uh, understanding of the neurobiological structure of these anagram types to to the psychological um, and medical communities because he he realized how critical it was. I mean, the word anagram doesn't even begin to explain the mass amount of intelligence this thing is pointing at. It is extraordinary, and bringing it now to relationships. What he noticed all of his life, he's a A man with a huge heart, and he saw that the greatest suffering in our lives happens in relationships as adults. As a matter of fact, all the damage that happens to our personalities where we don't fully potentiate either neglect or abuse or trauma, all that happens in relationship when we're young. So the emotional transactions when we're young, all the way to the emotional and transactional relationships we're having as adults, this is where we really suffer. And he loved to bring the Enneagram to relationships. In the last 10 years of his life, he passed away in 2017, by the way. The last 10 years of his life, we've been working on developing this book. It was the last thing he wanted to do is to write the uh, book specifically about the Enneagram, how it can help us save our relationships all the way to have the most beautiful possible relationships where we can break down our defense system, open our hearts to one another and suffer way less. And that includes all the way to intimacy and sexuality because he he saw in uh, working in his private practice for 30 something 40 years that in the sexual realms this is where people really also suffer where there's a lot of hurt that can happen and a lot of disconnect and when some couples disconnect sexually, the relationship has a much greater chance of falling apart. And so the book takes us all the way through relationship with self, relationship with each other, and our sexual and intimate relationship with one another, where ty- any type actually plays a big role too.
1: So can you give an example of what you're talking about in terms of what... I understand the bigger picture of it, but how... Does it give us ideas of how we can interact if I'm, say, a seven? <laughs> Big surprise. Uh, I knew <laughs> I knew you knew. <laughs> I kind of scream that. but uh, And I don't know what my husband is or my kids. I have to really think about it. Well, I kind of do. But does it give us examples of ways to interact with the different types? How, how does it work in terms of helping me um Strengthen or develop a relationship with a
0: child or a husband or you know someone else even. So that's a great question, and I I just want to add, I knew that you were a seven. Now we're not supposed to judge on the outside, but I knew that you were a seven because we each, all these nine types, have particularly very visible types of energy, our speaking pattern, our 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 body language, our our micro micro expressions of our face all lend itself to type. And when you study type, I've been studying this for twenty years. We, you'll actually start to be able to read these kind of energies pretty well. So I just wanted to share that with your audience. So, so. interesting.
1: So interesting. I just find this fascinating. Keep going. Let's hear some examples.
0: <laughs> so let's type... So, The book is full of stories that elicits how different types are either working together well or are becoming conflictual. So let's just take a type seven. Let's say a type seven is married to a a type five, okay? Type sevens are called the epicure, the adventurer. They love life. They're idealists. Life is a playground, and I want to play in it, and I want to participate. I love options, and I'm stimulated by new ideas. I've got a gluttony of the mind, new ideas, new options, new adventures, plan, 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 sevens get high off anticipation so just talking about what we're going to do next week can lift my up oh, i get a lot of dopamine from this right type five and let me go back type sevens are a assertive type so the energy moves forward toward life forward toward what it wants getting what it needs being assertive and expressing its needs and it's a little bit of hey i want to do that get out of my way you know don't limit me don't trap me don't stop me so that's the seven energy Full of gifts, full of gifts, very optimistic. And you all and sevens teach us how to do that, how to pursue the self-driven, self-desiring life. Okay, Type five, type five is called the investigator or the observer. Type five's energy pulls back into the self rather than going forward toward life. So the sevens are called, I mean, fives are called the hermits oftentimes, and they like to recharge their batteries by being alone. Um, Sevens like to recharge their batteries by being in the world and with everybody and having a great time. So you can imagine right now I've got a seven and a five who are married. The seven wants the five to come do things with it. And the five's like, "Mm, not today. Mm, I need to recharge. Mm, I need some private time. Mm, I'm going to read my books. So just these two personalities, regardless of their level of developmental well-being, can have basic conflict in not understanding the way each one relates to the world and the way the focus of detention is directed. And what happens when we're in a coupleship and we don't understand anything about each other's energies is we tend to expect the person we love to be like us. So a lot of couples will say, what is wrong with you? Why don't you like that? Why are you doing that again? So we don't realize that we're projecting our desires for ourselves or the way that we accept ourselves onto how we're going to accept our partner. So the Enneagram, the very first thing it does, is starts opening it up and understanding as to why we're different and also how critical it is that we're different because remember these nine types have a contributory role to the survival of the species, so we need to be different. But when we're in relationship with each other, sometimes these differences become exactly what we fight about instead of appreciating.
1: Oh my gosh. This is, I cannot wait to read this book. So I'm going to ask you something. I don't know if it's possible. Is there a way for, you already described sevens and you described fives. Is there a way to go through and just describe briefly, you know, I don't, I know, you know, because I think people listening are going to want to know, well, what am I, what am I, you know?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I'd love to do that. And and let me give someone a base, everyone a baseline here. In um, uh, circa uh, 1970, the a group called Thomas and Chess did a research on infant temperaments between three months and 18 months old. And what David Daniels and a man named uh, Dr. Jack Killen and Dan Siegel, um, a woman named Laura Baker, who's a, Got a PhD in genetic science, and Dr. David Daniels' daughter, who's named Denise Daniels, who's a PhD in temperament, they started looking at the Enneagram for the neurobiological organizing structures. Not just an idea, the Enneagram is just a fun typology, but actually the underpinnings according to science. And what they found was the Enneagram's nine structures map directly to the research of Thomas and Chess that infant temperaments are visible. For instance, some infants are very sensitive to stimuli. Some infants move from stimuli fast from one to the next to the next, like a little seven child. We could actually see it early on. So as I go around the nine type structures, these structures are embedded in the way we're organized neurobiologically in our central nervous system. And the focus of attention is tied into this. So I'll start with type one. Type one is driving from the body center of intelligence we have three centers of intelligence, which you'll hear me go through now. The body sense of intelligence tells me what's right, what's wrong. I matter because I exist. It's where our, we hold our dignity. It's where we, we fight for justice and it's where we fight for violation. So when someone disrespects us, calls us a name, um, knocks your cat off the counter, anger is gonna rise to protect us from violation. So Enneagram type one, is a body type structure it's a perfectionist crusader performer it likes things right it's an improvement junkie fix it junkie it sees every painting in every room that's crooked it sees spatial arrangements between things that painting's too close to that chair that's i'm a type one and even as a very very young child what made me feel really good in the world is when things are straight, spaced perfectly, organized. I, um, I was born in Montreal and people used to come into our house with all their snow boots on. So they'd take their snow boots on, they'd all pie up around the door. Well, I would straighten all the snow boots. I mean, I'm like two or three years old. My parents did not tell me to straighten the snow boots, but when the snow boots were all straight, I felt better about the world. So this is type one. You'll often see type ones trying to, you know, they're reshuffling the chairs and they're setting up a workshop and they're moving things around and they We have an eye, an aesthetic eye, but perfection, what's wrong, correcting it has to be right. And we won't sit still until we accomplish that. Type two on the Enneagram is in the heart center of intelligence. And the heart center of intelligence comes to teach us about our belonging. Number one, if you don't belong, we don't survive. Our belonging, our likability, are we desired? Are we wanted? Are we liked? Are we approved of? Are we valued? Do you see me? Do you hear me? So that's heart center of intelligence. You know, our heart radiates a magnetic field off of us about 12 feet. We're picking up a ton of data with our heart. And in particularly, am I okay in the space with others? am I liked and wanted? So type two in particular is called the giver or the helper. Type twos have an incredible aptitude and sensitivity to what others need, what others want, how to take care of others. Literally their energy goes out of themselves and over onto others in the space or in their love life or in their, in their homes. And I'm going to take care of you first before me and this is their gift to the world. And this is what charges their batteries. What happens sometimes with type two is that they get their needs met in the world by giving to others first and quietly <laughs> expecting others to give back and waiting. Mm. I gave that person a lot. I'm not even a thank you. Mm. So they can get very sensitive to this.
1: So, but I, as, as you're listening to this and I, I want to encourage people, we do all have aspects of each of these, Correct. Okay.
0: We have aspects of all nine types in each one of us. Absolutely. We do. One's got the grip. One's got your gift. One tends to come really naturally to you. One, for my, for instance, for me walking into a room and seeing paintings that are crooked, that fast, effortless. My daughter's an Enneagram type three. That's not what she sees first at all. She'd have to concentrate to actually put that on her radar. For me, It's almost like an instant irritant. Interesting. It's so, I love this.
1: It's because I, that kind of bugs me too, I have to say, but I know I'm, I know what I am. I get that.
0: Sevens are connected to one. So I I can maybe do that directly connected to one. So absolutely you would see that in your, in yourself. (laughs) <laughs> that's so you're funny back, you're right on top of a triad called the 174 triad yes oh so my gosh this is there's so much to learn about this okay so we're on to threes right Are we on threes type, yep type three is also in the heart center of intelligence type three is called the achiever and performer type threes are very sensitive to who i'm supposed to be for others type three believes it has to be someone It has to be successful it has to achieve a particular kind of success and that success is defined many ways by an Enneagram type 3. For example, an Enneagram type 3 in India, female, might define her success in the world by having five children, a very loving husband, and he having a really good job to support her. A type three in San Francisco female might see her success as driving a certain kind of car, getting a house on Knob Hill and working in a high tech company and being like the bomb. So how they define their success is very specific to type three, their culture, their background, their families, their parents. But type threes have an incredible sensitivity to what others want for them, to the point where they can literally shape-shift in the moment. They're registering immediately if they're being liked, if accepted. They make amazing salespeople, because they can shift to get the sale. Actors, performers, a lot of threes are in the performing arts because they can become what they need to be. It's incredible talent where they get lost is they can deceive themselves. I might become a doctor because that's how I'm gonna get the, the brownie points from my family, but I might wake up at 40 and realize I hate medicine. And who did I do that for? That happens to type threes without they real, without their realizing it. So type four is called the romantic and the individualist. It's the third Enneagram type in the heart center of intelligence. And type fours, are, um, they come to teach us about my precious unique self. Each one of us has a unique, precious spirit, face. I came to bring particular something to this world. I'm special, and they come to teach us that we're all special. You're special, that's special. They look for specialness. They look for beauty. They look for romance. They look for love. They look for the ideal experience in the heart. And a lot of times they'll teach us about the the intense emotions of the heart. Sadness, melancholy, grieving, sorrow. They feel everything very richly. They search for meaning. They see symbols in everything. Um, Type fours can suffer in that they're often disappointed because the world does not meet their incredible vision of what it could be, how it should feel. And so, for instance, a four might have a first date with someone and they've pictured it all in their mind. He's going to show up to the door with flowers and he's going to be this and he's going to greet me like this. And it's going to be amazing. And the guy shows up at the door. He's got no flowers. Oh, and the heart sinks. So the rest of the date might not be experienced that much because the disappointment has hit so hard that instead of the beautiful meal that they got, they're still thinking about the flowers that didn't happen. So fours can get caught in that kind of a, that form of suffering.
1: Interesting.
0: So, uh, so you already, you went through the five,
1: but just what is it again? You, you type briefly... five is
0: the observer, investigator, oh, yeah. also called the hermit. Now type five moves us into the head center of intelligence and the head center of intelligence has an anticipatory function, meaning it tends to shoot off into the future, see what could go wrong, what could happen. I can plan, I can anticipate, I can think ahead, I can tinker. This is our processing and uh, also where our fear is driven, because the human animal animal is the only one that can scare itself to death with its mind. Mm. Other mammals don't do that, and this is because of the way our head center of intelligence works. It can go back into the past, into the future, and (laughs) conjure up all kinds of worry and concerns, and what ifs, and oh my, right? So that's the head center. So type five goes in towards the self first, and likes to stay there. Type minds have a sanctuary in their mind, and oftentimes they find the world very overstimulating. They have a very sensitive central nervous system, light, sound, too many people talking at once. They tend to focus on the acquisition of knowledge, information. How do, how do I not get annihilated this world? How do I stay powerful in this world? My mind, if I have enough knowledge, I have enough information, I know something, I'll be of value and I'll be safe. And that's the pursuit of type five. In coupleships, type five, um, type five struggle because they need a lot of private time. And unless this is understood, couples can feel, the partner can feel neglected or why don't you want to be with me? But type fives have to recharge their batteries alone. And again, that great sensitivity in the central nervous system needs them to pull away from life a little bit and regroup. So that's type five. Type six, also in the head center of intelligence and in the center of the head center is uh, because five, six, seven, type six is in the middle. Sixes are the worriers. Sixes are hyper vigilant, very aware. They notice everything in the environment. They're constantly... Sensing what's dangerous, what's safe, what's certain, what's not, who can I depend on, who can I rely on, who who I can't rely on, and what could go wrong, and what's coming. They have uh, sometimes uh, a tremendous, almost clairvoyant, anticipatory talent. They can almost see trouble coming. They're the friend in your life and go, hmm, I told you so. And they also, one of their love languages is to warn us of what could happen, what could go wrong. They try to protect their loved ones by seeing what could happen and by trying to give you warning. And (laughs) sometimes people don't want this advice and don't want these warnings and it can really hurt their feelings because that's how... One of their love languages is to tell you what could happen. Don't do that. Uh-uh, I don't know. I just know that no, this could go wrong. What if? What if? They can. They tend to ask a lot of questions. Be very inquisitive. They can get paralyzed by fear. They can literally just over worry and fret so much that they can't make a decision at all. Or what's called counterphobic six is a type of six that'll go head on, provoke challenge if it's fearful of something it'll kind of attack the fear and they can be very um very intense uh, counterphobic six can be fear challenging and also anyone in their realm who is gee you said that yesterday you said this today they'll challenge you on that they just they want that certainty and that reliability and they can be very provocative type six i got it we're moving on type, to me now type seven <laughs> is the third one in the head center and Type seven is also a fear-based type, but it doesn't know that it's fearful because it assuages its fear by using that anticipatory talent to get up and out of worry, up and out of anything that's trapped or limiting. Planning, anticipating, options, that thing works with that, patterns, it sees, it sees um, how things relate to one another and it gets very excited. Lots of vision in type seven. Type sevens can see things that aren't here in the world yet. They bring things in, like Steve Jobs, he was on the 147, like yourself. I want a thousand songs in my pocket. They're like, what are you talking about? I want to walk down the street in my pocket, have whatever song available to me that I'm ready to hear. And when he thought that up, it didn't exist in this world. We had to carry a boombox on our shoulder that was enormous. And he changed all that because sevens have this extraordinary connection to their desire. And then energy rallies around that desire to go and manifest, assert that in the world. And a lot of times sevens bring us to where no one's gone before. That's seven energy. I'm working on that. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on that. Okay. We have eight and nine left. And eight and nines. And um Type eight, now I'm back to the body center of intelligence. So I started with one, and this is the last two of the body center of intelligence. Type eight is called the challenger or the boss. Type eight is a very big energy. It is a rising of uh, the anger system, which is what the body center um, is is sitting on. Violation, right, wrong, truthfulness, justice, fairness, um, respect, and dignity, and autonomy. So type eights have a very big, big rush of vital exuberant energy they're very direct, say it like it is, give it to me straight, be truthful, or get out of my way and they have a, a sense of who's got control in the room, who's behaving badly with their power, who needs to be put in their place they're kind of the great big tribal protector and uh, and their energy's big. You usually can feel a type 8 walk into a room and um, their sensitivity and their their, um, their liability is that they overprotect their own vulnerability. They have a very innocent heart and they protect that very well. And they only let the, the, those very closest to them who they trust explicitly have a glimpse into the innocence in their heart. So they're big, like they're big, big teddy bears in a way, very loving, but very fierce as well. And type nine is the last one in the body center of intelligence, again, the autonomy, dignity, what's wrong, what's right, justice. But type nine, instead of eights who are very explosive and ready with their energy to challenge, type nines push the anger back and become the most harmonious, energetically diffused on the Enneagram system. But type nines won't allow themselves to get angry Type eights will explosively get angry, very clear, very direct in the present moment. Type ones are ambivalent about their anger. They tend to, to direct their anger into fixing, improving, and cleaning, and straightening. But type nines completely suppress it. Type nines what's called go along to get along. And they have a capacity to merge with others. That merging capacity has an incredibly delicate sensitivity to non-differentiation. If I'm not different from you, I'll get to stay connected to you. If we are not differentiated and I blend with you, I'll be with you. So type nine, where you want to go for dinner, whatever you want. And they oftentimes, you know, this this non differentiation is the live and let live, real sense of unconditional love. But what we realize with type nines is, until they awaken to their type nine ness, the real authentic self can oftentimes be suppressed under this requirement that they have to love themselves only if they're harmonious and non differentiated. But type nines um, serve others with no agenda. They uh, they can make other people's lives work. Sometimes we call them the glue. They're just, and they're quiet and they need no attention. They don't need approval. And they're just doing, 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 taking care of, taking care of. Yes, it's okay. I'm fine. No problem. They can, um, they're one of their liabilities is they can get lost in inessentials. So, you know, they set out to um, work in the garage, but they end up in front of the TV for six hours, like on a you know a binge watch of Outlander or something so they, and that tells you when you see nines numb out like that go away from themselves completely it's usually when they're suppressing anger they haven't spoken Ooh. up and they haven't um, expressed some conflict that might have needed to be um, directly handled or spoken to they might have gotten hurt three weeks ago and they never told you and that you know you can imagine they're sitting on a volcano because Anger rises. Hey, that felt disrespectful. Hey, that hurt my feelings. Anger is what does that, right? Allows us to speak to those violations. But nines won't speak to that. They'll stay harmonious. But you can imagine that that's very impactful for them. Oh my! That's a little tour around the nine. This is this is so fascinating.
1: Unfortunately, our time is you know we're coming to an end here, and I really have so many more questions. And I I. I just think this is so fascinating. So do you coach people as an Enneagram expert? Do you work with people one-on-one?
0: I am an Enneagram coach and teacher, and I do work with um, couples and also individuals one-on-one, which is my passion, absolutely. And um, yeah. Oh my gosh, I this is so exciting. I just want you, can you tell me the name of your book again? It's called The Enneagram Relationships and Intimacy. Uh, understanding one another leads to loving better and living more fully. But if you just remember the Enneagram relationships and intimacy, you'll find it. It's on Amazon. Well, we'll put it in our link so people can find it more
1: easily. Yeah. And I can see how that would be so incredibly beneficial. Just listening to you now, I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know that person. I know that person. So I, I really am so grateful that you shared this with all of our listeners and I am, I'm amazed and looking forward to delving into the Enneagram further, as I know many of our listeners will as well. So,
0: Kim, thank, thank you, you so, so much for having me. And I know this system can really enhance people's understanding and love for one another and compassion, and it can really change the nature of relationships. I mean, and
1: who doesn't want a fulfilling relationship? We can always work on those.
0: Absolutely. The ones with our beloveds and of the ones with our children, right, where the brains are are now, you know, still developing. What an incredible time to have an understanding of this when we're parents.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, I think at any age, minor older adults, fully formed. But I think I could really utilize that in our relationship. And especially now, as I said in the beginning, we've been home with either our you know, husbands or partners or children or some people alone. And I think that you know, it's exacerbated everything about us, you know, our faults, our good things, everything. And I think that in particular, your book is very valuable right now.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. No, so we're oh. very, very happy to have it in the world.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I really appreciate it. And I know everybody's going to be studying now the Enneagram. Thank you. Thank you, Kim.